0: Hi, I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Josh Galecki. And this is Video Game Book Club for August 2018. Uh, today we're talking about Dwarf Fortress. Uh, this is a construction, management sim, uh, dwarf personality sim, and you name it sim, by indie video game duo Tarn and Zach Adams.
1: One of the, perhaps, classic indie games out there. This game has been out there since 2002. as when they started developing it, sorry. It wasn't out there until 2006. But that makes it, uh, today, 12 years and some change old. Old ass game.
0: Yeah, you may notice that uh, we're missing our third chair today. Clint is off enjoying his honeymoon, so Josh and I, um, you know, sidled up to our computers and decided to delve into the Dwarven Depths. Uh, That brief homage to to Josh's XBLA Classic there, Dwarven Depths. Pick it up. Um. (laughs) Oh, they don't sell it
1: anymore. I think they stopped selling it uh, September last year, so I got my last Microsoft check.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For now, Josh. (laughs) Um, At any rate, we decided that aside from the... uh, definite classic status that this game holds in uh, not only cult circles of its following but the indie game community in general that we should play this game because of you know its amazing complexity and uh, the amount of games that it's influenced over the years from Minecraft to RimWorld and a dozen other procgen type games in between. On top of that it being one of the few video games in the Museum of Modern Art in New York as of 2012.
1: All right so this game the summary of it is that you have dwarfs and you're in a fortress. They're trying to survive in the wilderness from goblin sieges and angry elephants and when you dig too deep what comes up out of the depths to hunt you? You build your fortress, you create tools and weapons, you dig for valuable metals. This game's very famous for its simulation being extremely deep, it does everything from simulating how good your doctor is at setting bones to uh the materials that make up your um that make up your instruments sorry, the tools that your dwarfs use to uh I think I remember that the different metals that you use for the weapons and armor that you have the they have physical characteristics like sheer strength and things like that, that, you know, that's why silver ends up being one of the best things to make war hammers and blunt weapons with, I guess because it has a low, I don't know, rubberiness or whatever. The You're the engineer, you can tell me what that fancy term is there.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's a, it. brings up an interesting point about what makes this game so fascinating is the endless depth that is put into the procedural generation aspect of it, like they're Uh, water physics generation, uh, despite the fact that, as with everything in this game, it's displayed entirely in ASCII text-based graphics, uh, is just some of the most complex simulation that you will see in the world of gaming. Now, some will say that's probably a little bit easier to do when you don't have to um, use 3D modeling or any of the uh, other things that our modern game engines have. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, but the, the point is that this game has a remarkable set of physics modeling algorithms uh, inside of it, and it makes full advantage of those in the ways that it um, you know, builds its game worlds, generates its not only world, but history of its
1: world. Mm-hmm. The simulation's very deep, but on the converse side of that, the learning cl- curve is extremely steep. I think I've described it a few times as a learning cliff. There's not so much you just climb at, you just gotta beat your head against the wall until you start digging a tunnel with that.
0: Yeah, and uh, I uh, was lucky enough to have my own Dwarf Fortress Sherpa for the, the several hours I put into this game, uh, our very own Josh. You know, he uh, sort of took me by the hand and led me through uh, how to get myself into a mountain, and I'll go over sort of what my experience is like with that a little bit later here. But suffice it to say, he's absolutely right that this game has just a brutal sort of learning curve, and it's, it's sort of like crassly non-commercial. Like, it is very out in the open with the fact that it's not marketing itself to really anyone except its fans at this point.
1: Absolutely. Uh, For example, the graphics in this game are ASCII graphics. Uh, Takes you back to the days of Rogue and before there was Roguelikes and there was just Rogue, uh, how people moved around with that. I think some of the controls are uh, even a legacy of those old frameworks as a matter of fact
0: yeah i can uh, i can attest to that uh, that was probably the thing that threw me off first and foremost about this game was the way that it controlled uh, i was lost uh, you know i basically had to be led by the nose like do this keystroke to do x and then x keystroke to do well you know the, the other thing you know zone your area for this by pressing y and then z and, and then doing a little uh, tap ooh. dance
1: and that's how you figure it out uh, <laughs> yeah eventually sort of the like... controls become muscle memory but getting to that point is not an easy thing
0: no and i'll, I'll be the first to admit i did not get there uh, in our you know month i had to explore this game it just didn't quite get there yet and you know maybe someday um you know in retirement or whenever the hell i'll have enough time to get into this <laughs> fully but um yeah, who knows? By then maybe they'll have like a mental interface for this game and all of that will be solved.
1: <laughs> I believe the game could still be in development by the time we retire. I think in those 12 <laughs> years that um, it has been out, we are on version 0.44 maybe, somewhere in the 40s. But that means that uh, Tody one the developer, Tarn Adams, he thinks the game is not even halfway done to what it will eventually be simulating.
0: So I think the main interesting thing that this game also brings to the table is uh, it not only, uh, you know, generates these entire histories, but continues with its procedural generation the entire time you're playing with it. Uh, The developers, Zach and Tarn, pitch it as a sort of story generator. And Josh and I, uh, when we started off our initial simulation together uh, actually simulated uh, the same world or rather I simulated and then he copied it over to his computer, which led to the story of the Siege of Bookwind.
1: Well, you know, we both had a fortress that was very appropriately named Bookwind. I think Brian's lasted longer than mine. Mine was attacked by an undead zombie elf. It seemed like a pretty weak creature, but it was pretty early on and I hadn't developed my military yet. Um, I had been situated the fort on a pretty defensible location up near a giant river and waterfall on top of high impenetrable cliffs. I thought I could defend myself from anything coming out, uh, coming past me. So I had my military dwarfs. I had the one Coraspo dwarf sitting at a defensive position across the river trying to pepper the zombie with bolts before he came across. And this idea being that if he went across the river to charge my dwarf, he would go down the waterfall, die, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, I did not give a crossbow to the dwarf before I sent him out there, so when I told him to attack the zombie, it was him that walked across the river, plunged down the waterfall, died instantly. The zombie followed him, I guess scenting blood, um, and he fell down the river, did not die, being dead already, but sustained, sustained some pretty massive trauma. Limbs torn off, I think it uh, was missing a foot too, but still alive or undead or whatever the current state was. Fortunately the fortress was still under siege after that. I came up with a couple other ideas for how to get to him, but well as long as that zombie was sitting at the bottom of the waterfall, I could not get any migrants or traders or have my fortress expand at all because it was perpetually under siege by the underwater zombie. I eventually tried to um tried I tried a couple of different Plans for how to attack him, I ended up, the last one, was to dig a tunnel to underneath the waterfall, where, upon the rest of my fortress, all the dwarfs were now in the melee squad. They jumped in the water to try to kill the zombie, and they all promptly drowned and died as the zombie. Um, They didn't have to worry about breathing, the dwarfs did. So, while they were trying to swim and fight, at the same time, they failed miserably, and everyone died after that.
0: Man bleak. And that's just some of the fun you can have <laughs> with Dwarf Fortress.
1: <laughs> the game is pretty notorious for you, lo- lose, you lose forts quite often uh, for one reason or another. The motto yeah. for the game is losing is fun. And there's a lot of ways to unlock fun in the game doing that.
0: Oh yeah. No, I uh, I didn't really get to tell you the truth. I don't think I've experienced one of the game's hallmarks, which is eventually just losing. I, I didn't make it that far. Um You know, when when Josh sort of led me through my first couple hours of the game, uh, basically the the main portion of it was picking a nice spot to delve into the side of a mountain and getting the basics of a fortress set up. So, you know, before you're off trying to take care of zombie elves uh, in waterfalls, you have to build a, you know, a sustainable little civilization. You have to carve out a mountain, get some crafts going, so you have, uh, you know, the basics for your dwarves, get a farm... Uh, make some booze, otherwise they're going to be sad, as with <laughs> all people. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it starts off sort of as like a little mini city sim and then slowly evolves into this uh, manic and very characterized fight for survival as the world evolves around your little fortress. I guess what I what I have to say is I'm kind of fascinated by this game as an endeavor. Like, it it's clearly put in so much more care that, at modeling a, a fully sort of characterized in historic world but at the end of the day i'm not particularly um enjoying it as a as a game it's just um, one step too far in terms of inaccessibility and maybe it's just like the point of me not having the time to throw at it that i might have if i had come to it 10 years ago you know
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i think you still gotta climb that learning cliff
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my, uh, my upper body strength isn't what it used to be. <laughs>
1: I gotcha, I gotcha. I think we can move on to some me- uh, discussion of the mechanics of the game now. Uh, one of the big things about this is that it is a very procedurally generated game. Um, at the very beginning, when you are creating your world, the first thing it does is simulate the tectonic plate movement to decide where there should be mountains. And then based off of those mountains, it simulates the rainfall and precipitation. Uh, Based off of that, uh, then you get your rivers and from the rivers, upspring forests and towns and cities and civilizations and all of this, uh, you know, these are modern computers that we are running. Brian's might be slightly more modern than mine, but it still takes, took me about, uh, I don't know what, 40, 45 minutes to generate a world.
0: Yeah, no, it was at least when, when we simulated some odd few hundred years of history, or maybe 1,000, I don't know, 2,000 years of history, was it, on my uh, PC, we were waiting for a solid chunk of time. I think it was at least like 20 minutes for the world to do all of these things, you know, generating the climate, the technology, the geography, civilizations, religions, legends, you know, everything there. Um, Down to like, by the time you get a... Uh, group of people eight dwarves or, or what that you are going to lead along they all have a maslow's hierarchy of needs to find like you <laughs> you it goes deep and um, it does procgen more completely than probably any other uh, game I've ever seen um, it's just uh, pretty incredible what it what it does behind the scenes there and the fact that it's taking that long and it's not doing any visual portion of this Mm -hmm. modeling is just absurd. Like, you know, the weird thing I always thought about with this game is um, we're literally looking at like the tiniest microcosm of the world. You know, we're looking at like one cell on that massive, you know, probably 128 by 256 grid and that will never see the outside of that tiny little grid or at least i didn't in my entire portion of playing Hmm. and there's there's an entire other world out there that was generated that we just have no no access to
1: (laughs) worth mentioning is that besides the dwarf fortress mode uh for which it's most famous there's also an adventurer mode where you can Be a single human or bird person or dwarf or whatever, and you can be an adventurer, go around these different towns, explore all these different areas, and you can even go visit your old fortresses if they are still surviving.
0: So... I never got to, I didn't, this is one of the modes I didn't get to explore, so I want to prod a little bit as to what this is actually like. So what are the, you know, obviously the game is very forthright with its not having objectives, you know, it's sort of like a a Minecraft in that regard, you know, to call back to our previous discussion. Um, How does adventure mode work? Is it just sort of like that? Like, do you just go around and sort of see what the world has to offer? Do you talk to the NPCs that are out there? Do you battle monsters what do you what do you do
1: uh i've have never played it myself either i've followed the bay 12 development um not forums but his development announcements pretty often so you see the things he's adding and i can tell you that he's putting a good amount of time into adventure mode too it's not just every like every all the complexity there is in dwarf fortress mode there is an adventure mode too like you can um I, I know he just put in something where you can now lie about your intentions and you can say oh yes i share your civilization's values when you really don't and so there's, there's interaction
0: based in this too it's not just like a tour like tour the world thing like you're you're interacting with the other dwarves in the world right or other creatures
1: other npcs you can go on quests uh, wow. you can try to retrieve artifacts but then there's a whole system about like uh, th- the king might tell you to bring back the artifact but then he, the last last thing he knew it was at the goblin fortress next door and in the 300 years since that artifact was stolen from the king's or the kingdom um it got taken by a dragon or a demon and now it's somewhere else and you know it's not like um in skyrim you go for a quest and the guys like oh you should go here to find this artifact and you're pretty much as far as I know, guaranteed that it's there. But in Dwarf Fortress, that world goes on, without everyone being updated all the time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of those uh, things that I think game developers in particular love about games when when it has that in it is the world goes on without you and has little regard for you. Um, I think. That's a very brave thing to do, uh, probably less so in the course of an entirely procedurally generated game. But if a developer is confident enough to put like very good authored content in a place where players may or may not ever see it, it strikes me as just like it strikes me as very brave in that like you're the the players that really care will see it, and the players that you know are just there to blow through the game maybe won't, and that's okay.
1: I think that speaks to procedural generation, too, is that when there isn't any authored content, so to speak, there's you don't have that worry about wasted development time. Maybe yeah. I guess it's something a little different. I'm just thinking right now, I know that in the game, like uh, you can have instruments that your dwarves can learn to play, and they're not like, oh, this dwarf plays the flute and this dwarf plays the guitar. Each world and civilization has their own instruments that are just procedurally generated and i know like in dwarf fortress some of them are pretty complicated to construct they take three or four different job orders and you need to get like oh this this uh string instrument needs some glass over here for whatever reason um so it's a do not <laughs> it's a do not i guess so uh, <laughs> but you know there's i, I imagine there's going to be a number of players who played dwarf fortress for a very long time and never come across Oh, here's the specific instruments that your dwarf civilization plays.
0: Right. Yeah, my my guys in particular were uh, big fans. Uh, the guitar, xylosax.
1: <laughs> Is that what it was called? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> I was. Uh, I'm sure there's something like that in the game, but no, I. Uh, it, it's just interesting to me that there's a procedural music, in, musical instrument generation system. Like, even something where they could have easily just created a a list and had those. Um, ideas proc gen into the world they decided to procedurally generate the idea of a musical instrument rather than just adding in you know bespoke list of of instruments
1: not even um just not just with instruments too one of the things that also came out in that update i think this was the last year or so was a poetical and musical form so it's like oh your dwarfs really appreciate the blah 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 which is six unaccented beats followed by two accented beats repeated in an (laughs) structure oh
0: jesus that's starting to like reach into the realm of pedantic but you know <laughs> i i still appreciate it um that's that's crazy uh, some people uh, you have know,
1: recorded like uh they've done fan covers taking their dwarf civilization's idea of what a song is and making a song according to that
0: have any of them been any good
1: i've heard a good one i'll, I'll post a good one for you
0: Because, like, there's a reason behind certain musical theories and why they work in the real world. And the idea of procedurally generating a piece of music on an entirely, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? An entirely random musical theory just seems like asking for trouble.
1: <laughs> well, the music still, like, this, this music is composed by people, but the, ah. film, the skeleton is procedurally generated.
0: Got it, got it, got it. Okay, well, that's interesting. I guess that's kind of like a uh, like a, more of a, a type of challenge music, right? You're going to... Yeah.
1: All right. just So, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good procedural generation in this game, but I think we could do a, a little bit of a broader discussion maybe about what makes procedural generation done well and done not. Because I've played games where it seems like, the procedural generation is put in there to multiply the content that the player can come across without multiplying or even adding to the amount of replay value that a game might have. Like it's just saying, (laughs) here's some combinatorial combinations we can come up with. And the Hmm. player's like, eh, I'm bored.
0: Yes. uh, This is uh, a lot of, uh, potential to either be really good or really bad, depending on, uh, I guess, the the skill with which it's implemented. Um, I think, let's see, really done, really well done project. In my opinion, I guess the the immediate examples that come to mind, something like a Splunky, which I guess is sort of a contemporary of this game, um, sort of s- sticks out to me as one of the really high end, well done, procedurally generated games.
1: Mm-hmm yeah I think so uh Splunk is really good about um the way it interlocks like it's uh you have different tiles i think in the maps that you can dig into and they're set up in each other in different ways and then there's some rules that get applied over that to ensure a consistent experience of you go down one level you go down another level like there's usually four levels for each um Four strata if you will in each Splunky level if i remember uh but there's some good ways that the emergent gameplay comes out of that system too but i think having the rules on top of that works well to kind of enforce a baseline thing after you create you you know you shuffle and you draw a bunch of cards that say the level is going to be built this way
0: yeah it's you know there's it the Splunky. not only that but the way that it procedurally generates in um not just the levels that it's building but also the tools that it's putting in those levels enemies that it's putting in those levels there's just there's several layers of proc gen that are sort of put on top of each other to make sure that each run through is something wholly unique and not just um to borrow your metaphor picking cards out of a deck
1: yeah yeah you know it's um you, it has that emergent great gameplay, which I think is important for creating uh, storylines too. There's a certain amount of this emergent gameplay that can be planned, but I think Dwarf Fortress, I think some of the reasons the stories are so good that come out of here are because of the interacting systems. There's so many, such complexity to the game that you have a, systems interacting with each other in unexpected ways. One of the things I remember, you should read the bug reports for Dwarf Fortress, are the bug fixes, because they are pretty hilarious. But um, the one of the bugs that was fixed uh, maybe a year ago or so was that he just implemented taverns, which is your dwarfs, although they imbibe alcohol constantly and need that to get through the working day at the taverns they get even drunker and then the humans can come in and they can't hold the liquor so they get drunk too and the floor has a lot of alcohol splashed around there. Uh, now one of the things that happened, the system that came up with this, was that cats like to follow people around and hang out where people hang out, so they'd go to the taverns and they'd start licking the floors, and you'd have mass cat genocide because the cats couldn't handle the amount of liquor that they were licking up off of the floor. So mm-hmm. cats would just be dying off in massive numbers whenever somebody put a tavern in.
0: It makes you wonder if this actually happened in the Middle Ages, because, you know, well, I guess the the ground is probably more porous. Maybe they should have modeled porousness of floors before modeling feral cat death by alcohol.
1: <laughs> I think the problem was there was a, if I remember this right, there was bug in the cat's behavior or not behavior but the i guess call it the cat anatomy where they um, they should have gotten too drunk to continue licking up the booze but they didn't they uh, that threshold wasn't until later and it wasn't until they already poisoned their livers that the cats died
0: so basically they just had to fix the bug in the cat that caused them to get drunk quicker
1: yeah, I think that's how it happened. I think cats still <laughs> hang out in tavern floors. Maybe they don't lick them clean as much as they used to. Because they're passed out drunk. <laughs> there you go. But uh, uh, what a, I, what another thing I remember...
0: Beautiful resolution to a bug there. <laughs>
1: there you go. Another thing I'm remembering, too, is during that uh, zombie siege of Bookwind, the Mighty Fortress Bookwind, one of the things I was trying to do, and it's not something I've ever done before, but I just thought, "Eh, you know, this game has physics. If this could work in any game, I could see that working in this game. What I did was I built a bridge over the waterfall, and the zombie was just sitting at the bottom. He wasn't moving around, but... I designated the area over the bridge above where the zombie was to be a garbage dump uh, for, you know, you can mark anything to be thrown over, a barrel of food, old clothing, um, giant boulders. So I marked a bunch of boulders to be taken out and dumped on top of there. And uh, none of the boulders ended up hitting him, but I did nail him with a, I think it was a tattered cloak, and that ended up like breaking a finger off, so the idea was good in principle. Huh. But it just didn't I guess there's not much accuracy when you're dropping rocks from twenty stories. Wow,
0: twenty stories. You were that was a big uh big drop there. It was. Yeah. It was
1: pretty pretty epic, sadly. The zombie siege took down the fortress. But it's well, an but... example of how the uh emergent gameplay can work well. You contributes to these stories over here. It's not something where Tarn said you know, when I'm developing this game, I'm going to make it so you can drop things on invaders and maybe that'll do some damage. There wasn't like a specific command for that. It was just, I'm going to try dumping things over over here and seeing if that comes up with anything.
0: Well, I think the best part about something like that is it gives you an idea for something that you can use in either a future iteration of the game or a future game in general. Like you see now that you can drop... uh you know, garbage or rocks onto a a creature and it'll harm them, Uh, all of a sudden you have an idea for a a foolproof defense project for your future, or uh, better yet, like a a dungeon where you can just drop your your enemies and throw garbage and dirt on them.
1: (laughs) Yep, that's right. Uh... That's one of the nice things about this game. When we get into a little more about the open-ended gameplay, is that you can have some truly massive engineering projects, and that's one of my favorite things to do in the game is set up a fortress with all kinds of sweet swag and pimped-out stuff going on.
0: Yeah, that's kind of my approach to Minecraft. You know, eventually, like I just kind of want like a really cool fortress with like some solid views and a bunch of really cool, you know, towers and furniture and. You know, basically, you know, deck it out, like you said. It's kind of like, uh, I guess that's kind of what you, what I, I like about games like this that are sort of prestige really generated where you can sort of adapt the world to your will is you sort of get a place that you make your own and hang out in. It's a cool thing. And on top of that, you're going to get a whole sort of like group of dwarves that can hang out in there, uh, and sort of have their own stories play out. Um, you know what this game kind of uh, reminds me of in a weird way is The Sims. This is like really, really complex nerdy The Sims.
1: <laughs> yep, the uh, the I guess the D and D equival the D and D nerd equivalent of the Jock Sims. Right, now, right. Sims so. is a great game, but it yeah, definitely has a more mainstream appeal, slightly more accessible than Dwarf Fortress is.
0: It honestly makes me wonder if like those the person that came up with The Sims and the person that came up with Dwarf Fortress didn't inspire each other, whichever one came first. I'm guessing it was probably Dwarf Fortress that came first, but The Sims has been around for a while.
1: Mm-hmm. I do remember reading that the developers of I think the Sims 3 would oftentimes be spending their off hours or work hours playing Dwarf Fortress so one way or another I think it influenced the game
0: you know I'm looking at this and Sims came out in February of 2000 so that is right an before... old game <laughs> right before uh Dwarf Fortress entered alpha which is interesting <laughs> Yeah, these stuff. Def- there's definitely a through line there in terms of, uh, you know, the the genetic makeup of the game for sure. It's just sort of an, a a simulation where you're designing a, a, an abode for a simulated being, and and Dwarf Fortress just sort of is the much more complex baroque version of it.
1: <laughs> Good way to describe it, like Sims, except more so.
0: <laughs> Sims, but crazy and baroque.
1: That's- Baroque might be a good word for the themes for dwarf Fortress. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Baroque, inaccessible, you name it. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Like the it it's one of those games that it, it really does generate uh, you know, so many so many different stories for you but they're even just accessing them is difficult because you have to go into sort you have to basically read a little novel to find out what happened in the last 10 minutes of the time you were playing
1: and you have to know where to find that information too it's all there and okay. there's a lot of information but you can kind of pull out the important information to get to um to get the story out of what you got yeah um i think uh the story generator is a very important thing, uh, kind of like if I had to give the game a theme, I would say that's that. Um, the story generator is good, The like compared to a movie or a Call of Duty with a lot of cut scenes and uh, kind of pre-scripted events, which can be exciting, but you're also, that's the. it's a very directed sort of thing, whereas a story generator is more of the emergent sort of narrative, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it, it's definitely a type of game that is a little more giving than just sort of a one-time shot through. Um, you know, that's just sort of basically going to hook you for the, the length of its story and drag you through it, and then when, when you're done, you're done. Uh, but yeah, so maybe let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some comparisons and differences between uh, this and some other proc gen games that we've had. You know, we talked a little bit about Spelunky, talked, I think we I, I've mentioned Minecraft a couple times, Personally, I think um, the main difference that I think this holds between any of the other Procter games we've talked about yet is that it's modeling a entire sort of civilization and group of people. It plays more like a strategy game than it does a first-person shooter. You know, if we're going to or action game, if we're going to boil it down to either one or the other, where you're taking the third person versus the first person, this is in that former camp. Um, Whereas Minecraft is in that first-person camp, and I think other than that, like the worlds they're generating are pretty similar, um, you know, in terms of like the, you know, the depth and your inner, your ability to interact with them.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons, like, I-, I chose these last two games, and I thought Minecraft and Dwarf Fortress would be good ones next to each other because they just kind of show how you can do different things with uh open-ended a very well done open-ended thing i think the third person versus first person is a very legitimate kind of perspective like this is the in my uh opinion the ultimate god game like you can do so much you can interact with your universe your ant farm as much as you want um i kind of see the key differences or maybe not differences but the strengths of them um I see Minecraft as kind of being almost more in the romantic tradition. I'm not sure if you're worth uh, familiar with the uh, works of the painter Caspar David Frederick.
0: Hmm. I'd have to look him up, but yeah, continue.
1: He, he uh, has a lot of very imposing kind of things, and if you look at any video game cover, you can see his influences oh, yeah. anytime. I'm going to just drag one into our...
0: Oh, it's Dark Souls the Painter.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. You have a guy... St- you have a determined-looking traveler standing in front of a huge imposing cathedral or mountain or a gigantic sea, and it's very lonely and things like that. But uh, Minecraft is kind of like that. The best moments of that game were when you kind of feel like you're in that painting, where you stand on top of a mountaintop and everything stretches out in front of you. Um, The use
0: of perspective to make the scenery look so gigantic and reference to the subject you know i'm seeing lots of pictures where there's a tiny tree in the foreground against a gigantic mountainscape backdrop and a huge gray foreboding sky you know Mm -hmm. there's just uh, a lot of sort of the minutiae of of man versus his incalculably large surroundings Mm
1: -hmm. and that's kind of what you get with minecraft a little bit is that you have um dwarf fortress i think dwarf fortress but i think dwarf fortress is more third-person than first-person. Like uh, in any of these paintings by uh, by Frederick, um, it wouldn't be the same if you were zoomed out and you just saw a little tiny person instead of the big character in the foreground. And I think that foregrounding is the difference between Minecraft and Dwarf Fortress as far yeah. as strengths for Minecraft goes. Sure. As far as strengths for uh, Dwarf Fortress goes, I think it's in the complexity Of the simulation of the universe, you have a mind-boggling, almost fractal amount of complexity in the game, and things can—you can just keep diving down lower and lower. Minecraft, for as good as it is, is a fairly simple world. You have—you have um your cellular automata, water flow, and lava flow. You have here's a dirt brick, here's a this brick or that brick. Oh, here's a wolf over there. There's no sense of economies. So it's
0: Minecraft versus Minecraft server like <laughs> if yeah, you had if you had 256 individual people in a Minecraft server it would have about as much complexity as, you know, a relatively well populated and <laughs> created uh, dwarf fortress map which um, is
1: damn maybe that's a th- maybe that's a thing. Uh I haven't played much online Minecraft though, but I could I could see how that goes. I think we're ready to go down to our three-word reviews and our thumbs-up, thumbs-down. This game gets a big two-thumbs-up for me. Uh, I think I mentioned last month that I went back to Minecraft. I don't know, that was maybe the fourth time. This is at least the eighth or ninth time I've gone back to Dwarf Fortress. Every couple of years, I will boot it up again and see what's changed, explore the new kind of things, and enjoy playing around with the dwarfs. For my three-word review, this is a little bit of a story here, but my favorite author, Jorge Borges, the blind Argentinian poet and librarian, he did a lot of really good short stories that I love. Um, but one of them, um, this is from the short story, Ibn Hakam al Bakhari, Murdered in His Labyrinth. And it's towards the beginning, it's talking about, there's two... Um, Two Irish guys talking around this castle, and one of them is talking about this murder that occurred over here, and he's saying that the murderer was already dead by the time that the murder took place. At this point, the other guy steps in, vexed a bit, Unwin stopped him. Please, let's not multiply the mysteries, he said. Mysteries ought to be simple. Remember Poe's purloined letter. Remember Zangville's locked room. Or complex, volleyed Dunraven. Remember the universe. So for me, that's my three-word review for Dwarf Fortress, Remember the Universe. There's such complexity that it's there's a sense of mystery to it for me. When you load it up and you're trying to figure out how the systems work and interact and what kind of emergent surprises you might see coming out of them, uh, to me that's the essence of the game.
0: My head has a lot to absorb and yeah, can tell that the the history of it, this game is really coming out uh, in that in that explanation. But that's a that's a really good one. Um, you know, I have a, a very different take on this three word view. As, you know, I have much less history with this game. I came to it uh, arguably at the wrong time in my life. But at the same point, I am still deeply able to appreciate it. I don't feel like I have the authority to give this a thumbs up or thumbs down. I'm going to give it a solid thumb in the middle and say I need I need more time <laughs> to stew. Um, so I'm going to, you know, forego judgment, but say this is, in my three words, a noble pursuit. Um, there's something about this game that, from what I can see, my in a mindset way, predates the current sort of indie game scene, or really the the game scene as as seen as it is now in general. Um, and to that I mean, this is a game that was clearly not started out of any illusion of really trying to you know, make a commercial product or, you know, one could argue even really a living. Like this almost seems like just something that's done out of a purely sort of noble idea of creating that story generated that we've talked about throughout the course of this discussion. And to me, it's it's sort of symbolizing art for art's sake is almost the most pure way it can be in the realm of video games. So to that end, I'm calling it a noble pursuit. I don't necessarily say that I enjoyed it as a, a game, so to speak, but I understand its appeal and I respect its mission. Um, so, thumb in the middle, a noble pursuit, my three-word review.
1: All right, good discussion. I think next month we will be doing Subnautica,
0: that's right, so this is kind of going to be some whiplash back in the opposite direction in terms of uh, your, uh, I guess, sort of survival game. You know, maybe this is probably a better game to compare to, to Minecraft than Door Fortress, but at the end of the day, both of these games do boil down to trying to get a group of people or person to survive in the wild, and Subnautica is a very interesting take on that. So should have a good discussion next month with some good games in the last couple months to uh, surround it.
1: All right, well, this has been our August 2018 version of Video Game Book Club presented by Pixelated Playgrounds. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Brian Skircha. Signing off.